into God's Word right now. So if you can uh, grab uh, your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're wrapping up this uh, short series on rest. And uh, today we're going to talk about unaddressed hurts, unaddressed hurts. And uh, we're going to actually have a response time at the end of this message uh, during the last song. And uh, for those of you who are bearing hurts that maybe by the end of this, you're going, you know what, I haven't dealt with that the way I need to. During the singing of that last song, we're going to have some leaders up here at the front who are prepared to pray with you. And you can just come out during that song and get someone to pray for you and deal with uh, whatever these things are that you're struggling with. And again, that'll make more sense as we kind of get through the message uh, here uh, today. So take a look at the screen. I want to show you this picture. I follow an account on Instagram uh, called Nature is Metal, and uh, it's all about animals, uh, essentially most of the time, animals killing each other. And um, it, there's a lot of really gruesome stuff. I wouldn't counsel you to, <clears throat> to uh, sign up for this account if you, uh, if you struggle with watching things like that. Um, but this uh, picture came up, and obviously you see this panther. One of the things that you notice first is the wounding, but then it's uh, pretty clear that this panther is very resolved and not at all hindered by the wounds that she bears. At some point, she was in a life and death situation, a, a battle with some other uh, creature and prevailed, yet with the scars, of course, it's obvious that she's been hurt, but with the resolve, you just get the picture that she's not letting it hinder her. She's not bothered by it. She's not acting like she's been hurt. And D.H. Lawrence, uh, the author, said this, I never saw a wild thing feel sorry for itself. A small bird will drop frozen dead from a bough without ever having felt sorry for itself. Now, as that relates to you and I as, as Christians, too many of us, I fear, live our lives feeling sorry for ourselves because of things that have happened in our past. We live, as it relates to this series, we live restless lives. We can't find rest. We can't be at peace because of these past hurts in our lives. We won't put them in our past and leave them there. And you and I will never find rest for our souls unless we stop feeling sorry for ourselves or, in some cases, burying our hurts and never dealing with them. We'll never find rest for our souls if we don't stop harboring resentment and unforgiveness. And in today's passage, we're going to hear that we can be healed, like flat-out healed of unaddressed hurts in our lives. And we can genuinely find rest as a result of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's where the preacher in Hebrews takes us. And that's what we're going to read. In fact, Hebrews 12, 12 through to verse 17, dropping right into the midst of a very powerful chapter in the, in the uh, book of Hebrews. Hebrews 12, 12, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled." 
that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Here's what we're going after in this message. I can be at rest if I find the healing that comes when I, first of all, we're going to look at three things here. First of all, get up and get going. Just get up and get going. Now, we're going to talk about healing in this passage. And while the Bible talks about healing in, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, often in terms of physical healing, people had physical ailments that were healed. Sometimes they had spiritual things they were healed of. Think specifically of demon possession and demons uh, coming out of people. So there was those kinds of healings that we certainly read in the Gospels and in, in the book of Acts. But here in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, he's really, the healing he's talking about is a heart healing. It's a heart healing that needs to happen for each one of us. And verses 12 and the first part of verse 13, we have an exhortation that essentially says exactly the point we've made here. Get up and get going. Don't wallow in your hurts. Oh, woe is me. Don't wallow in your hurts. Don't deny your hurts. Well, I don't talk about that. I'm not dealing with that. I've put that in my past, but I've never actually dealt with it. And the images that he used to help us with this are, you can see them there in the text, drooping hands and weak knees. This is images of someone who has been uh, beaten down and discouraged and lost all determination and is just living their life in this defeated place. The hurts have left them curled up in a corner and lacking the will uh, to go on. I'm so grateful for uh, the pastor friends that I have in this city and Pastor Kerry Newhoff, who's the, uh, many of you know him, he's the founding pastor at Connexus in town, a teaching pastor there. And uh, Kerry and I are good friends. Uh, what people don't know here in this town often is that Kerry is very, very well known outside of the city of Barrie. He's published four books. He's on the conference circuit. Uh, he has a podcast that uh, hundreds of thousands, literally hundreds of thousands of people around the world listen to. Uh, Kerry's very, very well known. He's just written his um, uh, fourth book called Didn't See It Coming, and there's a, a, quite a revealing of some of the biggest challenges that Kerry has faced in his life as a pastor. He really opens up, and he makes himself super vulnerable. And he was in a very, very dark place. He had some uh, hurts that were going on in his past that he needed to deal with, and uh, he walked through that dark period in his life, and he wrote this in the book, Live in a Way Today That Will Help You Thrive Tomorrow. Live in a way today that's going to help you thrive tomorrow. But if the way that you're living today is, is wallowing in your hurts, you have to ask yourself, is that going to help me tomorrow? If I wallow today, does that help me tomorrow? No, it doesn't. If I, if I deny that I've been hurt today and don't really deal with the hurts in my life, is that going to help me tomorrow? And the answer is no. And Carrie's driving this nail for us saying, live today so that tomorrow's going to be better. And in fact, a little bit later on in the book, he just said, uh, keep moving, do what you can. Because at first it may seem like I don't feel like I can do very much to make this happen. Don't stop, keep moving, do what you can and begin. We're going to see the process of healing for those past hurts in your life. Back to the text in Hebrews 12 here, you get the idea 
that and Hebrews 12 is a Hebrews is a sermon and you get a point you get you get to the point where you understand that this preacher is preaching a sermon to people who really needed to hear this because they had hurts in their lives that were not being dealt with and were hindering them some who were thinking that it was perfectly acceptable to wallow in self-pity and just give up in the face of all the hurts that they had in their lives and so he uses these descriptions, back to the descriptions of, of drooping hands, listless hands. This is, this is the person who kind of just walks around like this. Their hands just, you know, there's no spring in their step. There's no swing in their arms. They're just, just drooping hands. And in fact, the Greek word here for drooping, the original language of the book of Hebrews, uh, the word drooping is paraleo, from which we get the word paralytic or paralyzed. Literally, there's no life in the arms at all. It's not a good place to be. He goes on to say, um, about, talk about weak knees. One commentator said that these are knees that are incapable of healthy motion. There's probably some people in the room here, you've had surgery on your knees. This is such a, a critical joint that we have that uh, in order to walk up and down stairs or be able to take a walk along a path, to be able to go to the mall, to get in and out of your car, all of those things become extremely painful if you have bad knees. And you can get to the place where your weak knees keep you from doing the things you want to do. Your family wants to go to Wonderland. You want to be able to go with them. That's just too much walking. My knees can't take it. And all of a sudden, you're pulling yourself back from fun things, from, from productive things, from life-giving things. Because your knees are bad. You have weak knees. You're incapable of healthy motion, and obviously this isn't a good place to be in. You're feeble, you're, you're wobbly, you're shaky. It begins to take away your confidence to even do anything when your arms are drooping and your knees are weak. And you have to remember, he's using this illustration. We're not looking, obviously, at all of chapter 12 here, but it's such a magnificent chapter. If you go back to the very first verse where... The preacher is saying, we need to, with endurance, run our race. That the Christian life that we're living is a race, but it's an endurance race. And you're not running that race if your arms are drooping, if they feel like they're paralyzed. You're not running that race if your knees are weak. There's no way your legs are going to take the pounding of this endurance race. If you wallow in your trials, if they beat you, if you bury them in the past, if you fail to address the hurts in your life, then you don't understand. This is the bottom line. You don't understand something about God. There's something that you're missing even about who you are. You're missing something about God's plan and how it all works together. And we have to bring ourselves back to right belief. It's going to start with us getting up and getting going so that we don't end up discouraged and beaten down and lacking the will to get up, hands drooping and weak knees. But you don't have to stay there. This is, this is where it's really on us to make a decision whether or not this is going to happen. 
Because notice in the verse it says, it not only talks about drooping hands, but there's a command attached to it, an imperative that says, lift your drooping hands, get those hands in the air. It says, it says strengthen your weak knees, have the surgery, get your knees to a good place, start walking with endurance again. And the third imperative, make straight paths for your feet. In other words, uh, really get up. Get up and get going. Now, if you make that decision, the next one makes sense. Get with the program. Uh, which program? God's program, obviously. Not my program, not someone else's program. No one else is going to fix this thing. This has got to be God's program. I'm going to get with God's program, which is, verse 13 tells us, God's heart for us is that we would be healed. It's right there in the verse. And in, in chapter 12, again, what we don't see, because we're not looking at the entire context with this message, but the paragraph just before this one is all about the discipline of God. In fact, the word discipline is used nine times in the verses just preceding the passage that we read. These aren't random trials. These aren't random hardships that are coming our way. These are things that God has allowed and even ordained in our lives to bring us to a place of being disciplined, being a better, same word, disciple. God has an interest in you and I becoming better, stronger disciples of his following him in a better and stronger way. And so this is about God's discipline, which always, note this, always God's discipline has a redemptive benefit to it. God's trying to bring us to a better place. God wants us to mature. So he ordains hard things in our lives to get us there. He wants, and again, pulling words from the verse, he wants what's lame there's lame things in your life, and he wants what's lame to be healed. And the hope is that we move past the hurt, accept the discipline, and not live our lives, again, as the verse says, out of joint. I've never had any dislocations, but I can't imagine that they're pleasant. You, you cannot use, if, you're, if your shoulder is dislocated, you cannot use your arm. A dislocation means that something is wrong, and I understand it's extremely painful. And so we don't want anything to be out of joint. We want things to be healed in our lives. We don't want anything to be misaligned with God's purposes and what he's doing. And misalignment falls into one of two categories. When I'm out of joint, and we've already kind of hinted at these, but let me make it super clear. When we are out of joint because we're not dealing with some hurts in our lives, one response is this, I can bury the hurt. When I'm out of joint, often I'm just burying the hurt that's happening in my life. And in talking to some folks from our biblical soul team, this, this soul care team, this is the number one thing that people do. They bury their hurts. I don't want to let anybody know about this. I don't want to deal with this. I'm just going to pretend it's not there. I bury it. I, I deny it. I never deal with it. And yet, everyone around me is affected by the hurt in my life that I have buried. I don't want to deny it ever happened. And I love this. Paul Maxwell said this. 
God remembers the evil that caused our traumas. We may want to deny it and bury it, but God remembers it. God remembers the evil that caused our traumas. He will not forget the life of our lost loved one, the transgression of our abuser, the brutal pain of violence, the shock and awe of loss, the aching regret over wounds for which we're responsible. One day he will bring all of it into the light with crystal clarity and perfect justice. Genuine trauma is done a disservice when the wound is hidden. Satan wants you to hide and deceive. That's his play. When we, when we bury our hurts and deny they're there and try to go on with our lives, that's Satan's program, not God's. And it just increases the pain that actually exists in our lives. Paul Maxwell goes on to say this, God wants you to come to him with every honest, painful detail. He's the one we go to. He doesn't want it buried in our past. He actually wants us to bring it to him. Help me with this. I need to get this. It's out of joint right now. I need this to be back in alignment. I need your help. Dr. John Godman, a marriage expert, says that couples, you know, just thinking about this and how we bury these things, couples wait on average six years before they bring a problem to a counselor. Six years. I mean, you can imagine that by that time, whatever the problem was, you wait six years, you bring that to the counselor, you can imagine that it's a much bigger problem now. And you, and you think about those six years lost. That's on average. So there are some people who are waiting 10 and 12 and 15 years to deal with their issues. And some who never do. Who live in broken marriages or allow the marriage to dissolve. Because they wouldn't come. And I would think that that statistic probably works for other areas as well. I would guess that people with addictions, they don't come as soon as the first signs of addiction start showing up. No, they go five years and 10 years and, and 15 years of bearing the weight of some addiction before they finally reach out and usually in desperation. Well, you could have come five years ago. You could have come 10 years ago. But you buried that. It's been out of joint for too long. Well, you can bury the hurt. That's one way that people deal with this. A second way, when I'm out of joint, I can wear the hurt. I can wear the hurt like a funeral cloth for all to see. I mean, this, this is the person who just, you know, you know they're hurting. You hear their story over and over again. They don't tell the story in like, kind of like a redemptive, victorious way, but it's kind of like, this is still affecting me, and this is why I am the way I am, and it just, it's always out there. And in terms of finding rest, that's exhausting just to be carrying that burden with you all the time. So, of course, you can't find rest. This is the person whose divorce has paralyzed them relationally, drooping hands, this is the person whose addiction has, has isolated them and they have weak knees and they just can't walk the journey with everyone else. These are people whose lives are characterized by the big three and you know it because you see it in them. 
paralyzed by guilt, fear, and shame. All things that Jesus came to heal. Things that no Christian should ever be carrying around. Either way, whether it's I've buried my hurt, denying it, or I'm wearing my hurt, either way, it affects every area of your life, whether you recognize it or not. It affects every relationship. It's affecting your marriage right now. It's affecting your parenting. It's affecting every workplace relationship. It's explaining why you have trouble in small group and, and why you can't be in relationship with other people. And listen, it's, it's explaining everything. It's not a good place for us to be. Burying the hurt, wearing the hurt. It's the reason why you're not enjoying the fullness of God's blessings. It's the reason why your soul is not at rest. And so we, we want to get to a better place. Now notice in the text, it's not, it's not that we're doing the healing, and it's not even that I'm finding the healing from someone else, though I might have someone help me with this. But this is presenting myself to be healed. Someone else is doing the healing. And it's in fact Jesus Christ himself who's healing us. This isn't a command for us to do, but a statement of what God has already done for us through his son. And if we don't have this healing yet, it's because we've simply not taken advantage of the offer that Jesus Christ has made to us, the sacrifice of his own life. It's because we have not called on Christ to pour his Holy Spirit into our life, the gift of the Spirit, to bring healing, to manifest the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We need to turn ourselves over to Christ. And if you face some hurt in your life, and I imagine every person in the room has to one degree or another, if it has been hard, if there have been trials and you've been beaten up by circumstances, God's intent is to use those things to bring you to a greater level of discipleship and also to heal them, not to leave you in that place, to heal you. The very purpose of God's discipline, I jotted down like eight reasons why God disciplines us. And very quickly, he disciplines you to make you stronger, to get those knees stronger so that you can lift your hands higher. So you can do more for him. And in the midst of, of, of trials and heartaches and discipline, we often feel weak, but that God's bringing us to a better place. It's to increase our faith. We would love faith just to be delivered to us. I, I just want more faith today. And, but more faith comes when we go through hard times and we press in even more deeply to the Lord. We see him at work. It's to build our endurance. Remember, this is an endurance race. We need to go through hardship to, to learn to persevere more. To increase intimacy with him. Because when I go through trials, I should desire more of the word. I should desire to be in prayer more with him. Pouring my heart out to him. That increases my intimacy with the Father. That's awesome. To prove the presence of God's spirit in you. You're going to just sense that God, you know what? I don't know what sustained me through that. And it was a really difficult season. But I just had a very, very real sense that God's Holy Spirit was with me. I've heard many of you say that. I don't know how I got through that. Number six. 
to prepare you for ministry to others. Sometimes God sends us through stuff and it's really difficult. We go, why did I go through that? And then God puts someone in your life who's walking through the very same thing and you can walk that journey with them. Seven, it's hard to see, but God's always advancing his plan. We can't see it. But the purpose for discipline in our lives is God's got something going on that is just like too interconnected with other things and we can't see it. And so God, if it helps your plan, if it helps your plan for me to go through this, then Father, I receive that. And very closely related to that is number eight, ultimately at the end of the day, to bring glory to his name. Wouldn't you agree that if you're a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, no matter what God wants to send you through, if it's going to bring glory to his name, that's awesome. May not seem so at the time, but it will be. And we need to thank him for it. But listen, none of this is happening. None of these benefits come our way. We can't get to the higher level of discipleship if we don't go through the discipline, if we bury the hurt, or if we wear the hurt like a funeral cloth. So there is a third option here, and that is when I'm out of joint, we can heal the hurt. And that's really the place where the Christian needs to live. Now listen to this. The Apostle Paul said this. Love this, these verses. This is 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 8 to 10. We are afflicted in every way. That's true for us in this room. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed. We don't use that word a lot. Like we're confused. We don't know how it's working out. We can't see the end. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. I don't quite get it, but that's okay. I'm not despairing. I still have hope. I'm perse we're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. And then this is the key to it. Again, it's not us who's healing ourselves. It's not anyone else that's healing us. Always carrying in the body, in my body, the death of Christ, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. In other words, Galatians 2.20 says it this way, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. It's both of those things. And I need to crucify the hurts. I need to take them to the cross and apply the sacrifice of Christ to them. And so how do we do this? How do we get on God's program? Because that, all of that describes God's program as opposed to my own. And how we get on God's program is what we see next in the imperatives in verse 14. Strive for, strive for, New American Standard says pursue. NIV says make every effort to live in peace. And then he goes on to talk about holiness. And in those two words, we're going to live at peace and we're going to be holy people. In those two things, what we see now is how this is going to take place. I'm going to make sure things are good in the horizontal relationships around me, and I'm going to make sure things are good in the vertical relationship I have with God. The peace part is me and you working things out, and the holiness part is me and God working things out. And it's got to be both. I have to get right with God. I have to get right with you in order to get beyond my past hurts and to be at rest with God. So, verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Make sure you're in a relationship with Christ. And if there are people here right now and you haven't surrendered your life to follow Jesus Christ, now's the moment. 
See to it that no one fails to obtain the free gift of salvation, the grace of God, undeserved and unearned, granted to you by the work of Jesus Christ. Don't fail to obtain that. Make sure you're in a relationship with Christ. God freely offers himself to us, but it just seems that some of us, though we profess faith in Christ, go through hard times and then act as if we're not even Christians because of the way we're handling the hurt, because of our lack of perspective, because we, we don't have the mind of Christ about what's going on. We're not on his program. And that's a concern. We need to give ourselves entirely to Christ and live our lives that we really are his. Don't react to your hurts in a way that makes it look that you're, like you're not saved when you really are. Get that vertical relationship with God uh, right. Don't fail to obtain the grace of God. And then horizontally, we need to be uh, right with one another. Verse 15, the latter part talks about no root of bitterness in our lives. You see, there, there, there's this root of bitterness that was springing up in certain people's lives. So hurt by something that had happened around them that they're still bearing that or have buried that, but it's there. Now, for sure, in the context, these people are bitter first at God. This is the point at which we say when some hardship comes our way, God, why did you allow that in my life? Why me? And beyond us receiving something hard, we then look at the people around you and go, why are they so blessed? Why, why are they getting such a free ride? And it's so hard for me. And so it starts with bitterness toward God. I don't think you've treated me fairly, and I'm a little upset about it. And then it translates to the people around me, and I'm bitter at them. And we have to see that no root of bitterness springs up in any of our relationships, that none of this bitterness ever gets transferred to God or to others. Because where there's bitterness, what we're really talking about is an inability to forgive. Where there's bitterness, there's been unforgiveness. And where there's unforgiveness, there's a lack of peace and therefore, a lack of rest. And the effects of bitterness in a person's life, again, the inability to let go of a hurt, especially as it relates to the relationships around me, when that happens in my life, it affects every aspect of my life. It affects every relationship I have. In fact, there was some research that was done at Concordia University uh, this was uh, some of the results here. A persistent bitterness may result in global feelings of anger and hostility that when strong enough could affect a person's physical health. When harbored for a long time, bitterness may forecast patterns of impairment that can affect metabolism, immune response, or organ function and physical disease. Now, what this doctor is doing is he's looking primarily at the physical effects of bitterness. But what we understand about this root of bitterness is it affects, first of all, us spiritually and affects our relationship with God. Then it also affects us emotionally because we're so burdened by it. And it affects us socially because we have bitterness toward other people and we start to lose relationships. It affects us mentally and distorts our thinking. And it affects us physically, as the doctor says. And it breaks down our physical health. Listen, bitterness is not only 
paralyzing. It's fatal. And the preacher tells us here, let no root of bitterness spring up. And I get that there's a lot that could make us bitter. A former spouse who brings the marriage uh, to an end, an employer who fired you unjustly, a friend who betrayed you, a church that mistreated you, a family member who abused you. I wouldn't pretend to know the pain that you've gone through or the hurts that you're uh, bearing uh, through these things, but you have to forgive. The hurts have to be dealt with because mostly it's just going to kill you. Any offense in this life must be forgiven so that we can be at peace with everyone. And to not do this, verse 15 goes on to say, notice, notice the result. It causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. I mean, ultimately, this bitterness is divisive and destructive to the whole believing community and to each individual person. Pastor Roger and I were talking this week, and he just this quick little phrase, he just said, hurt people, hurt people. And in fact, I would add this, hurt people hurt themselves. We hurt the people around us. We hurt ourselves with regard to those relationships and our relationship with God. We need to be healed of these things. And if we can get to this place now, Notice where we've come already. I can be at rest if I find the healing that comes when I get up and get going, when I get with the program, God's program, and then it's just not going to happen unless we get over ourselves. I need to get over myself. At the root of every sin is pride. We just think that we're the center of the universe. Every human being is hardwired to put themselves first. And none of this comes to us None of the good things that God wants for us come to us unless we can get to this place of getting over ourselves. And he tells the Esau story here, and I wish we had time to develop it. But if you want to read it more, Genesis 25 to 27, and read everything that here in Hebrews as well. Verse 16, he, he, he doesn't want anyone to go down the road of being sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who had, listen, the summary statement on Esau is this, he had no room for God. Now, it's, it's likely there's somebody in this room who's the same as Esau in this point. You have no room for God right now. And it's a horrible place to be. He wasn't, in essence, man enough to repent, to agree with God and change his ways. And the crazy thing is that Esau's like the, the poster child for manliness in the Bible. He was the manly man, and yet he wasn't, listen to this, he wasn't manly enough to do the most manly thing, which is admit you're wrong. Men, you want to be courageous? You want to be manly men? Admit when you're wrong. Repent. Esau was a great hunter and big and burly and looked like a man, but he couldn't admit he was wrong. And he may be the least manly man in the Bible. He lacked the courage and conviction to do the one thing that he really needed to do to live. Admit that he had it wrong and God had it right. 
It's never going to happen, man or woman, doesn't matter, until you get over yourself. Verse 17, and these are words filled with anguish and hurt. He was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. And the deal was not that he was beyond forgiveness, and no one in this room is beyond forgiveness, but that he didn't seek it on God's terms. His tears were not godly sorrow, but selfish regret. The difference between I was wrong and I just suffered a loss and I'm not happy about it. He had no regret at his decisions and his heart. He found no rest for his soul. His unaddressed hurts in his life were soul crushing. And if I could counsel us here, we need to avoid the way of Esau. We need to address our hurts, find the healing that Jesus Christ offers, and ultimately find rest for our souls. Verse 13 said, make straight paths for your feet. Make a mad dash to the rest of God through the healing of God. No more burying our hurts. No more wearing them, but having them healed. The cross. And some of you, really, this is the application point. That the hurt that's in your life right now needs to be dealt with. And the decision you need to make is to get with a trusted friend who loves Jesus, who you can tell about that. Or to get with one of our pastors or elders and confess that and tell your story. Or to make an appointment with somebody on our biblical soul care team. To bring someone into it who can start walking through this process with you. To find healing. You know, of all the negative effects of unaddressed hurts in our lives, and there are so many, the inability to be at rest seems like the paramount one because it speaks to our relationship with God. It speaks to what we truly believe about Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he's made for us. We're never going to have a settled heart or receive the Sabbath rest of God if we're continuing to struggle with the pain from the past. We continue to bury it, continue to wear it, rather than realizing, believing, and accepting that Jesus Christ gave his life for all of this. About 600 years before Jesus gave his life on the cross, in fact, the prophet Isaiah said this, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And listen, with his stripes, we are healed come to the cross.